This is TalkRL, all reinforcement learning, all the time. Subscribe at talkrl.com slash subscribe. We're here at NeurIPS 2019 in rainy Vancouver, and we're now going to hear directly from a number of presenters at the NeurIPS DeepRL workshop. So, Mathias Sabatelli here from the University of Liège, big fan of your podcast, by the way. Um, I'm here to present uh, a poster about a new family of uh, model-free deep reinforcement learning algorithms. And the paper is called Two Value Functions Are Better Than One Towards Characterizing a New Family of uh, Deep RL Algorithms. And this is also joint work between uh, the university in Belgium from Liège and a university in the Netherlands in Groningen. So the main idea that I'm uh, trying to pitch today is that actually we should care about approximating the state action value function, which is uh, usually known as Q. Uh, alongside uh, the approximation of the state value function, V, in model-free reinforcement learning. So uh, current state-of-the-art algorithms uh, usually care about approximating Q, but actually I introduced a new family of algorithms which also approximate V, which uh, seem to to work much better. Um, I basically studied the properties of these algorithms, and uh, I show multiple interesting facts. So... This training scheme of approximating two value functions instead of one, I showed that it's actually beneficial when we're learning on policy and when we are learning off policy. Uh, So what I do, I introduce two new model-free reinforcement learning algorithms uh, which follow this specific learning scheme, which all seem to outperform algorithms like DQN and DDQN. These algorithms have also interesting properties uh, in terms of the quality of the Q function we're learning. I showed that uh, my algorithms called the DQV and DQV max suffer less from the overestimation bias of the Q function, which is a problem uh, when it comes to model 3D reinforcement learning algorithms. So when we are actually porting uh, uh, RL algorithms to neural networks, we know that training can become very, very unstable. And uh, one of the causes of this divergence is the overestimation bias of the Q function. And I show that the algorithms that I introduce suffer less from this phenomenon. So they don't just learn much faster, but they also learn accurately, which is something nice. Um, and uh, in terms of quantitative results, it's kind of cool because uh, uh, the specific training dynamic of approximating two value functions instead of one allows uh, the algorithms of the DQV family to outperform DQN and DDQN on a set of uh, benchmarks on which... Uh, these algorithms failed at the beginning. So we've seen a lot of progress when it comes to, to model 3 DPRL, but uh, some environments, for example, from the Atari benchmark are still challenging, and uh, DQV and DQV Max are, uh, uh, are, 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 are able to achieve superhuman performance where algorithms like DQN and DDQN failed. So can you comment on the relationship between your new algorithms and uh, maybe established approaches that separate the V out like uh, dueling? Right. So one key component of the algorithms that I'm introducing is that uh, we require two sets of uh, separate weights. So this means that two independent neural networks are needed in order to approximate the state value function and the state action value function. When it comes, for example, to the dueling architecture, we have like these huge blocks, uh, convolutional blocks, which uh, are shared among the architecture and then like different heads. Uh, one of these heads, for example, also estimates the advantage function, which is something that the algorithms of my family do not do. Um, but I've tried some approaches which are inspired uh, from an architectural point of view um, by the dueling architecture and these are algorithms which I call dueling DQV so in some sense I again like fix these uh, convolutional layers 
and I try to share them uh, uh, among the neural architecture before approximating the state value function and the state action value function. But I actually show that uh, this is not really beneficial in my case. So one key component of the algorithms of the DQV family is to really use two, two different sets of weights and two separately parameterized neural networks. I'm Eric Steinberger. I'm a student undergrad at the University of Cambridge and now part-time at Facebook AI Research. I worked on single deep counterfactual regret minimization, which is a, an algorithm that solves two-player zero-sum imperfect information games that might be too big to solve with tabular algorithms and is better than the state of the art was before, which was deep CFR. What I did is I found a way to simplify deep CFR to require less neural network approximation and in fact less training in total while yielding better, that is more accurate results, um, both theoretically and in practice. It says here you started working on deep RL in high school. That yeah. can't be too common. No, yes, I started working on this uh, while I was in my last year in high school and finished it in my first year of university. Uh, really, this was just kind of a project where I thought this would be fun, like, if it existed. Um, back when I started it, there was no good algorithm that used neural networks to play imperfect information games. And um, things like PPO are, you know, they work in many games, but they don't really, there wasn't really much work on them converging to um, Nash Equilibria. And there, are, there are some algorithms that do, but not really well. And um, I thought I'd take these data of the R-tabular algorithm, CFR, counterfactual regret minimization, and try to apply um, neural networks to it and basically just sort of approximate the shit out of it. And uh, that worked. Uh, my name is Jose Antonio Arjona. I'm working in the University of Linz, in the Johannes Kepler University. Um, yeah, and we are presenting RADA. It's a new method for reinforcement learning to decompose the return and to perform reward redistribution in a, in a way that the learn, uh, agent will learn much, much faster than using TD or using Monte Carlo. So can you tell me more about how Rudder works? Yes. Um, so traditional methods will take a very long time to, uh, to learn or to solve an NDP when the rewards are delayed. A delayed reward means that you get the reward only at the end of the episode or that the reward is sparse. Um, in any way, every time that you are making an action which is very relevant to the reward, this reward you see very, very late. So uh, in our method, we perform a return decomposition. So we decompose the return. And then we, using contribution analysis, we do reward redistribution. So we change how the agent see the reward from the environment. This new reward redistribution leads to a new NDP, which is much, much easier to solve. Because in the optimal case, all the future expected reward that you might expect from uh, one state action, it's given immediately. So you can't forget about the future. My name is Sepp Hochreiter. I'm the head of uh, Solid AI Lab in Linz. I'm the last author of this paper, Rada Return Decomposition for Delayed Rewards. What we present here is a paradigm shift. Uh, Uh, it's completely different than previous reinforcement learning algorithm. We use supervised learning for identifying key events which correspond to step functions or value functions. And by doing this, we are in experiments exponentially faster than TD methods. We exponentially faster than Monte Carlo methods. We exponentially faster than Monte Carlo tree search. All these previous methods do not work. 
And our assumption is to have delayed reward and it have to be model free. As soon as you have a model, uh, use model-based methods like Monte Carlo Tree Search. But for the hard challenges, use our method. For example, if you want to train an agent for a game, you have to make strategic decisions a very, at the very beginning of the game. And at the end of the game, it turns out whether you win or lose. And standard reinforcement learning methods cannot capture this, cannot capture uh, that you did a decision at the beginning, which is important uh, at the end. But we can. We can do that uh, because we can identify reward-changing actions at the very beginning. So it's, uh, your claims sound quite dramatic. Can you help me understand, or are there some limitations to this approach? So the limitation of our approach. Our limitations are if the sequences are extremely long, then the method we are using is called LSTM, actually invited by myself. Uh, uh, we use LSTM, and then even LSTM have problems uh, for very, very long uh, sequences. Another problem would be if there is no delayed reward. Then we have an overhead, and we, you introduce noise, uh, which can hamper learning. Uh, but if you have delayed reward, and if you don't have a model, please use this and don't use all the other stuff which is in the textbooks. Forget about it. Hi, my name is Nathan Lambert, and I'm a PhD student at UC Berkeley. And from my internship at Facebook AI, working under Roberto Calandra, we were studying what we call objective mismatch in model-based reinforcement learning. So in model-based RL, when you have this dual optimization problem between training a dynamics model to be accurate and trying to optimize reward when you're doing control, there is a missing link because the dynamics model that we train is not being optimized to maximize reward. And sometimes we've seen exploitation and this, miss, this missing link in the process could be a um, minimization on the sample efficiency and max reward that you can get with these model-based RL algorithms. So how does, your, um, how does your work address this? So we started to address this by changing the weighting on the state action next state pairs when we're training dynamics models to start with a more optimal trajectory and reweight towards that. To, and that focuses the dynamics model on one task. And we showed that you can get a bit better sample efficiency by reweighting there. But most of the work is showing how this issue emerges and control and kind of ways people should be thinking about training their models. So my name is Akhil Bagaria, and this is joint work with my advisor, George Konadaris, and we're both at Brown University. Uh, so this poster really is about hierarchical reinforcement learning, and uh, the idea is that usually reinforcement learning agents are doomed to make decisions at very minuscule timescale. Maybe they have to make a decision every nanosecond to decide how to move each of their muscles. But what we'd like to do is lower the decision-making burden on the RL agent, and the way we do that is by learning some higher-level actions. So maybe as a human being, you have some higher-level skills that you have, for example, opening the door or holding the mic or giving a presentation rather than each muscular decision that you make. Um, 
we know that these skills can be formulated using the options framework that was uh, proposed in 1999. And ever since then, we've known that these options are useful, uh, but we don't have a good way to discover these options uh, autonomously just from interacting with the environment. Uh, so this work is an attempt at doing that autonomously uh, for RL agents. So here in this task, consider that there's a robot um, and it has some start state and some goal that it needs to get to and it needs to find some optimal way of getting to that goal. The way we create high-level actions or skills in this scenario is that the agent will try to do this task again and again and then it'll find some small modular skill that with very high probability can succeed in getting to the goal. And it turns out that this higher level action is one that initiates somewhere near the goal. Um, so in that way, we recursively define what a useful skill is, which means that a skill should either solve the problem for you or it should take you to a place from where you have high confidence of solving the problem. And if you do this recursively, it turns out you can construct a chain data structure that goes all the way from your goal state back to your initial state. And we've reduced the whole problem of making decisions over thousands of time steps into one which only requires four decisions in this case. Um, so the rest of the poster is basically our experiments and results with this algorithm. Uh, and we see that in like complicated tasks which have required decision-making over long horizons, as well as those that are sparse reward, uh, you can get a huge speed up uh, compared to flat reinforcement learning agents. In this case, we compare our performance against DDPG, which is a popular state-of-the-art actor-critic method. Um, and we see that in all of these cases, DDPG has a really hard time uh, even learning anything useful in all the tasks we consider, whereas our method is able to, by breaking down the problem into a series of sub-problems, uh, gain a lot of sample efficiency. I'm Kirill. Uh, this work was done with Blue River Technology. They're in agricultural AI startup, I guess not so much a startup anymore. Um, right now I'm working with University of Calgary and part-time with Microsoft to kind of continue on the same work and essentially here the idea is we have, um, we want to start using reinforcement learning on actual hardware rather than just on simulators. So um, one of the problems that um, one of the speakers at yesterday's workshop, biological and artificial RL workshop, was talking about is that all these um, all these control environments like Mujoku or Bullet, they're very they're deterministic, right? And you're missing some information, right? Um, so a lot real sensors are noisy. Real actuators are incorrect in terms of they're not just square wave functions, right? Uh, so essentially, what we want to do is we want to actually get people to start trying their algorithms on real hardware, and that's kind of what we built. Yeah. Hi, my name is Leonard Adels, and uh, I'm from ETH Zurich, and I'm presenting Le Deep Chef, a uh, deep reinforcement learning agent for families of text-based games. And this is joint work with my supervisor, Thomas Hoffmann, also from ETH Zurich. And uh, what we did in this... Um, in this work is that we developed an uh, agent that can play these text-based games and text-based games are an interesting area of research because they um, 
they somehow give us a small environment in which we can uh, learn reinforcement learning agents in uh, in this natural language domain. And this is super interesting because we can uh, restrict the environment and the commands that we can issue and also the state that we get to develop agents that then maybe eventually also perform well on uh, on, on larger tasks. So um, exactly, and that's uh, in in one different uh, in one um, particular domain, which is the domain of uh, cooking in a modern house environment. So this was the setting, um, and we had. Uh, several different games, 500 different games, all of the same family somehow, uh, but all different tasks and different environments and everything was just given by uh, natural language and the agent could only interact with natural language. Um, and we developed an agent for this and we got uh, we outperformed all the, the vanilla baselines and also competed in the first text world problems competition this year and uh, ranked second uh, among more than 20 competitors. Hello, uh, I'm Hardik Mansheri. Uh, I'm from TCS Research Mumbai. I'm presenting my work here accelerating training in Pomerman with uh, imitation and reinforcement learning. Um, I basically work in applying reinforcement learning to multi-agent scenarios and industrial optimization problems such as supply chain optimization, uh, container loading into the ships, bin packing, etc. Uh, the work that I'm presenting here is about the Pomerman game. We have developed a curriculum plus imitation learning framework where we are reducing the training time by a uh, 10 order of 10 and uh, we are looking at uh, something which uh, which can be generalized to all of the environments given you have a noisy expert uh, noisy expert samples with you Hey, I'm Danny Ja and I'm a PhD student at the University of Toronto and student researcher at Google Brain. We have a paper here at NeurIPS titled Dream to Control Learning Behaviors by Latent Imagination, where the goal is to learn a, a world model uh, from experience over time. And so an RL agent uses this world model to le then learn long horizon behaviors in imagination. And using this approach, we can solve a range of new tasks and exceed the performance of both model-free and model-based methods. For this to work, we first learn a dynamics model from experience, and since the inputs are high-dimensional Im uh, images in our case, we embed them into a compact sequence of latent states, which makes it much more efficient to predict forward. In this latent space, we then predict actions and values that are trained against each other to learn long horizon behaviors. Do you want to comment on how this work differs from previous work from David Ha and Schmidt Huber or other related work? Sure, so David Ha was learning a world model uh, one step at a time. So he collects some random data and then trains a variational autoencoder to abstract the images. And then this is fixed and you learn a, re a recurrent neural network on top uh, to model the transitions. And he then uses evolutionary optimization to find a linear policy in this latent space of the model. In contrast, we're here learning the whole model end-to-end. -end. So the features encode, uh, extracted from the images can help for the long-term predictions of the model. We also learn larger policy networks and we learn value functions which lets us look beyond the planning horizon or beyond the imagination horizon and solve long horizon tasks. 
instead of the evolutionary optimization, we backpropagate through the differentiable dynamics. So we make use of the fact that the model is implemented as a neural network to efficiently optimize the parameters of the action model. We evaluated Dreamer on 20 visual control tasks where it outperforms both previous model-free and model-based methods um, using less data, achieving higher final performance and reducing wall clock time. We also evaluated different representation learning methods to learn the dynamics model and realized that pixel reconstruction still works best, but contrastive estimation uh, is getting quite close to it and the differences in performance really um, let us believe that further work on new representation learning methods would translate to higher performance of the agent as well. Can you remind us uh, about what is contrastive estimation? Yes. So uh, the easiest way to learn the dynamics model would be to use pixel reconstruction. So it's basically learned as a sequential variational autoencoder. But pixel reconstruction can become difficult in, in environments with enough visual complexity. And so contrastive estimation instead tries to classify um, by summarizing the history of past images whether the next image is a valid image in the same sequence or comes from a different sequence. And so the representation is then just the representation that this classifier learns. Hello, my name is Seung Chan Kim and I'm a master's student working with Professor George Konidaris at Brown University. My work here is adaptive temperature tuning for Melomex in deep reinforcement learning. So Melomex is a recently proposed alternative softmax operator in deep reinforcement learning. And there have been many previous works that combined Melomex and DeepQ networks. And one of the limitations of this previous algorithm is that Melomex has an additional temperature hyperparameter that requires the use of exhaustive grid search to find optimal values. And in this work, we proposed a new adaptive online algorithm that can tune the temperature hyperparameter parameter using a technique called metagraded reinforcement learning. The idea is that uh, metagraded reinforcement learning algorithm optimizes the return function itself by tuning the metaparameter. And our idea is to set the temperature as a metaparameter and update those parameters along the updates of the original Q functions. So we have uh, presented our algorithm and presented some preliminary results in a simple domain Acrobot and showed that our new adaptive algorithm performs better than the previous one. And we are planning to test this algorithm on larger scale domains like Atari games. Thank you. Hi. Um, so this work is meta-learning curiosity algorithms. Uh, we're Ferran Alet and I'm Martin Schneider, and we're from MIT. We're interested in the paradigm in reinforcement learning, where you can get an agent to explore by feeding it sort of proxy rewards that encourage it to explore its environment. There's been a variety of work on sort of hand-designing these exploration policies, but they often tend to not generalize very well between different types of environments. So we're interested in using meta-learning with meta-learning programs and algorithms to find new sort of curiosity policies that will help it generalize between drastically different environments. So in our setup, we've defined a sort of space of curiosity algorithms uh, defined through a DSL and a program synthesis process. Our search algorithm then looks through this big space of programs and finds new, potentially interesting curiosity algorithms out of that. We start by meta-training in a simple grid-world environment and then see that the good curiosity algorithms in that simple environment uh, actually maybe surprisingly generalize well to more complicated environments like Mojoko. And in fact, in Mojoko, our meta-learned algorithms are statistically on par with some of the hand-designed curiosity algorithms from the literature. 
And if you are interested in using our work and using our code, it is online at bit.ly slash meta-algorithms. Can you give us an example of what types of things it looks for in a in curiosity algorithm? Like what, how uh, in, in concrete terms? Yeah. Um, so one of the advantages of learning these hand, uh, of learning algorithms here rather than learning weights is that you can sort of interpret a little bit the types of rewards that the agent is getting. Um, one of the popular works from the literature, for example, um, tries to encourage the agent to get to new parts of the state space that it hasn't uh, seen before. One of the meta-learned algorithms that emerged from our uh, search process is one that we believe hasn't been uh, explored before. And our this algorithm tries to encourage the agent to get to parts of the state space well, it will start making different actions. So it encourages it to take uh, one action in the current state and then in the next state take a different type of action. So my name is Patrick. I'm in the uh, University of California, Berkeley. So my poster is about predictive coding for boosting deep RL with sparse rewards. So we basically are trying to apply contrasted predictive coding to the task of RL where predictive coding tries to find encoding of raw states into a form such that the past states and future states mutual information is maximized. And we basically found that after applying this technique to sequence of state trajectories, the encoding is actually capable of understanding the environment dynamics and focus on features that are most useful for learning. So we basically uh, use this method for two ways of reward shaping. The first way being clustering, and the second way being optimizing on negative distance. So for the first one, we apply this on the grid world environment, where we try to basically cluster, uh, cluster different states in the grid world into clusters. And we found that after applying predictive coding, the clusters actually correspond to the natural positions in the grid. And so awarding the agent to go to the cluster that contains the goal actually allowed us to boost the um, learning by whatever arbitrary goal is. And for the second part, for the negative distance, we applied on a variety of Mojoko continuous environments. And we basically found that applying, um, apply, applying this predictive coding allowed us to um, find features that are most important for learning. And, uh, and it actually flattens the environment um, structures so that applying simple negative distance is able to create learning boost compared to um, just using a sparse reward case. So that's like the big picture. Yeah. Uh, hello, I'm Zhang Weihong. This is uh, my work dur done during the internship in Preferred Networks. Uh, the, my work is about swarm-inspired reinforcement learning via collaborative inter-agent knowledge distillation. Uh, this work is, is inspired by swarm intelligence. We implement swarm intelligence in reinforcement learning framework. You, uh, it can be imagined that a swarm of RL agents search for the, uh, the optimal policy for a same, to solve the same task. We use the uh, knowledge, knowledge distillation to share the knowledge be between each agent in the swarm. And uh, we, in the experimental result, we achieved, uh, we improved the state of the art, uh, the performance of uh, software critic in Mujoko benchmarks. Thanks. Um, my name is Nick Patosa. I'm with uh, the Georgia Tech School of Interactive Computing, and my research was on multiplayer AlphaZero. So the original AlphaZero algorithm, as proposed and implemented by DeepMind, was focusing on two-player games such as chess and Go. So the question that I wanted to explore was what happens when we bring this up to end players. Um, so I did this by making a few simple modifications to AlphaZero, specifically modifying the output of the Deep Network from outputting a value vector for each, or, sorry, value 
scalar for each state to instead output a value vector. That way each entry in the vector is the value for each player. And then doing this, I change up uh, the Monte Carlo tree search a little bit to uh, take into account the index into the vector and uh, do the whole algorithm that way. And with these uh, two simple changes, um, I explored two very simple environments, which were uh, three player versions of tic-tac-toe and connect, and connect four. And I find that um, uh, the multiplayer alpha zero is successfully able to learn um, strong policies that can beat humans and, and beat uninformed MCTS agents uh, at, at these games. So suggest that future research in this area might be promising. So my name is Mark Britton. I'm a PhD student at Iowa State University. And our poster that we're presenting here is Prioritize Sequence Experience Replay. So the main idea here is we're trying to improve the credit assignment in deep reinforcement learning settings, particularly off policy. So we follow a similar motivation with prioritized experience replay, whereas when we reach a surprise transition, which means that there's a state with a high TD error, we want to actually decay a portion of this priority along the sequence that we took to reach there. And in doing this, we can use the sequential replay uh, information in the replay buffer to increase... Uh, let's see, um, improve the sample efficiency of the model. So what we show here is that in the blind cliff walk environment, um, as we track the mean squared error between the true Q value and the predicted Q value, um, we find that prioritized sequence experience replay drastically improves upon both PER and uniform sampling and gets closer to an oracle that has perfect information. So then we then evaluate this result on Atari against DQN with prioritized experience replay and DQN with uniform sampling strategy, and we find that the relative performance between prioritized sequence experience replay and prioritized experience replay is very drastic. We find that PSER um, improves upon PER in a majority of the games and um, outperforms uniform in all of the games as well. So this is recurrent neural linear posterior sampling for non-stationary bandits. This is work done at ITSIA together with Jürgen Schmidhuber, Aditya Ramesh and Paolo Hauber. So the idea is very simple. We, we are trying to use a recurrent neural network to predict the reward for each given arm in a non-stationary multi-arm bandit problem. And in order to deal with exploration, we apply posterior sampling. Okay, so I'm Asir Mujica, and this is the Improving Gradient Estimation in Evolutionary Strategies with Pass and Directions paper. And the idea is, essentially, in evolutionary strategies, we try to like, make random perturbations to our current search point to try to estimate the gradients and go in the descent direction of the estimated gradient. Recently, the idea of using biased gradients to estimate this um, gradient better was introduced by in the paper Guided Evolutionary Strategies. And essentially, we build in that work and we try to find better ways of using biased gradient estimates by essentially just taking a sample in the positive and negative direction of this biased gradient. And what we show is that this essentially is better than what was done before in the literature. And additionally, one of the main caveats of the previous work was that you needed to know how good this bias gradient was. In our case, this is not necessary as if the bias gradient is bad, our algorithm will discard it automatically. And this lets us use some kind of momentum in the search space. So as bias gradient estimate, we use the previous gradient estimate. And this kind of works really well in linear functions, which of course the gradient never changes. In the case of general functions, it depends on higher order terms. And then essentially we run a bunch of toy experiments in quadratic function and in MNIST where we show really that what we predicted in the theory kind of happens, where like using bias gradients is good 
until they become too biased, or like using this momentum actually helps, especially for smaller learning rates. We tried to run some experiments in RL in the OpenAI RoboSchool environment, but unfortunately this doesn't work so well so, so far. We believe that the noise in the gradient estimation kind of guides exploration in ES. So there's a lot of moving parts going on in reinforcement learning, and it may be possible that just better gradient estimates are not necessarily like do not necessarily result in better uh, performance in RL. And that's about it. Hi, my name is Daniel Theta, and I'm a PhD student in computer science at the University of California, Berkeley. And I work in the area of the machine learning and robotics. So this particular project is about given a set of teachers that we have at our disposal for a given learner, how do we pick the right teacher at the right time? So, you know, the different teachers for any given environment are saved from a, the sequence of snapshots at equally spaced intervals throughout a training run. So, you know, teachers earlier in the snapshot have very low reward, and teachers later in the snapshot have higher reward, but we're investigating at any given time for a Q-learning-based agent where the each mini-batch is a mix of student self-generated data and data from the teacher. Uh, what teacher selection function should we use? So at any given iteration, we have the option of keeping our teacher or using a different teacher or, or that kind of thing. And then the main highlight of our work is that it is generally not ideal to always pick the very best teacher or the very highest rewarding teacher. Sometimes it's better to pick teachers that are only a little bit better than the student in terms of reward. And some hypotheses are due to either we may want to avoid overfitting to a teacher, or we may also want teachers that have a similar state distribution uh, similarity with that with the learner. So, uh, thank you for your attention. Uh, you're well, my name is Luciano. I'm from Brazil. I'm from Aeronautics Institute of Technology. My work is bottom-up meta policy search, the bumps. In this work, we basically fill some expert policies to conduct a meta training to be able to <coughs> sample some policies from these meta policies and then solve some unseen tasks during training. It's basically a meta learning algorithm that you use imitation learning to conduct the whole process. So hi, I'm Yanis Flebaliak from uh, Sequel in Ria and University of Lille in France. Uh, so I will uh, shortly uh, give you uh, an overview of MERL multi-head reinforcement learning. So in this work, we want to facilitate uh, representation learning for better sample efficiency and improve fin final performance. Uh, so we want to maximally use each of the agent's interaction into the environment. Um, so we propose a method that is uh, easily applic technically applicable to any policy gradient method and environment. So it's a real plug-and-play method. Uh, instead of using prior knowledge, which, t which is task-dependent, we want to use problem knowledge, so self-performance assessment and accurate expectations. Merl incorporates uh, the fraction of variance explained, Vx, as an auxiliary task, a measure of the disc discrepancy between the estimated state value function and the observed returns. Uh, it is formalized by the fraction of variance explained from uh, Valset, a uh, paper from 1985. Um, and we observe better uh, performance in, uh, in nine continuous control tasks uh, Mujoko tasks. Uh, we also wanted to see if, if the method could better transfer the learning. Uh, so we chose five Atari games with the same number of actions. 
uh, and we, we observe um, again the same uh, better results on those tests. So one future work uh, we are interested in is find uh, even more um, uh, quantity of uh, accurate expectations or self-performance assessments uh, and, and to better study the, the uh, correlation and, and the effect of their combinations. Hi, I'm Bowen Baker. I'm a research scientist at OpenAI working on the multi-agent team, and I'm going to briefly describe our recent work on emergent autocurricula in uh, agents emerging, uh, emergently using tools. Uh, we looked at the game of hide-and-seek in a physically grounded and embodied environment, and the reason that we look at this game is that we've seen recently the power of these arms races in video games to produce wildly complex behavior. We've seen it in Go and StarCraft and Dota. However, it's really unlikely or it's hard to believe that an agent in those games would eventually pop out and solve a task that's actually useful to humans. And so we set out to see if we could induce those, those arms race dynamics in a more physically grounded and maybe human analogous environment. And so what we found is actually that when we put agents into this physical world, just playing the game of hide-and-seek, that they go through six distinct, uh, semantically different rounds of strategy, each one very different than the last. Um, and you see that because once one team learns a skill, it creates a new pressure for the other team to adapt. And we're also excited about that because of the analogs to our own evolution on Earth. And so the general hope for this type of work, and I think all works like this, is moving towards environments and games where agents are creating tasks for each other rather than, um, rather than the RL experimenters designing the suite of tasks. And maybe we'll actually be able to have something truly intelligent emerge from these. I'm Daniel Graves uh, from Huawei Technologies Canada, based in Edmonton, and uh, I'm doing learning and off-policy predictive state representation with deep reinforcement learning for vision-based steering and autonomous driving. Uh, so what this project is really all about is uh, we, we, we want to come up with a way to, uh, to learn better representations for deep reinforcement learning. So we have a, a task, which is to steer a vehicle uh, based on images only. So if we just apply a front front image to a, a vehicle, uh, how can we decide on the right steering angle to choose uh, to steer to ensure that the vehicle remains centered in the lane? Uh, so the approach that we took is actually to build a, a very compact predictive state representation uh, based off of uh, something called general value functions, which is a way of predicting the future uh, with reinforcement learning, actually. And uh, this, uh, this approach of general value functions actually uh, was uh, originally developed by Richard Sutton. Um, and uh, the predictive state representation idea was also uh, an idea that's many decades old. Uh, but what we're doing here is applying it to the deep, uh, deep, re deep reinforcement learning setting where we learn a very compact uh, set of predictions. Now these predictions are actually based off of the lane centeredness of the vehicle and the orientation, the angle orientation or offset of the vehicle with respect to the road. Uh, and so if we predict these at different temporal horizons, we actually capture the lane information of the road, uh, uh, which we can use as essentially an error um, of how far off our vehicle would be if it kept driving in a, in a, in a straight line from where it's currently at. Uh, so with this, we actually can form a very simple policy, which is try to minimize that error. And so we just form a, a linear policy uh, based on top of that and use reinforcement learning in a very shallow sense to learn very quickly uh, instead of having to learn uh, the entire uh, 
the, the entire uh, uh, policy right from the image. So it learns faster, and it tends to tend to um, to uh, also steer more comfortably and uh, a lot less jitter. It's more robust. It's more general to the unseen tracks when we tested it. So overall, it's very promising. And just last week before I came here, we applied it to a real robot and uh, trained from real robotic data. It's not on the poster here, but actually it works quite well, uh, surprisingly. So it's very good. Yeah. Uh, so our paper is called Multitask Reinforcement Learning Without Interferences. Uh, this is a joint work. So I'm Ken He Yu, and this joint work is dropped. And Abhishek, Sergey, Carol, and Chelsea from Stanford, Berkeley, and Google. So the goal of this work is to build more intelligent robots such that they can solve multiple tasks. Uh, we observe like deep learning makes it possible for robots to learn different skills, but they also suffer from op optimization challenges. Uh, we hypothesize that they may be caused by conflict ingredients, which is basically characterized by neck constant similarity between two task gradients, and also they might lead to unexpected damage due to high curvature. So we propose this project conflict ingredients or PC grad method, which projects two conflict ingredients onto the normal plane of the other one. And if the two grids are not conflicting, we just leave them alone. And we apply this to multitask supervised learning and multitask reinforcement learning benchmarks and observe that our method can learn much more efficiently than training tasks independently. And we can also outperform several multitask learning baselines. So my name is George Tucker, and I work at Google Brain. And we're presenting our work on behavior regularized offline reinforcement learning, which was done primarily by Yifan Wu, who interned with us this past summer. And we're, this work was primarily an empirical evaluation of different offline RL algorithms. So we're focusing on the setting where you just get a batch of offline data and you don't get to interact with the environment, but you want to do better than the behavior policy. And we evaluated a couple of recent papers, primarily uh, this one called Batch Constrained Q-Learning and another one, Bear. And we compared it to a simple baseline that just regularizes to, uh, with KL divergence to the behavior policy. And what we find is that when we hyperperimeter tune the baseline carefully, we can get similar and in some cases better performance than either of the two recent papers across the benchmark domains. And I think the main takeaway from this paper is not that there's something wrong with the previously proposed works. It's really about our baselines uh, and benchmarks. Our benchmarks are too easy. Basically, all the methods do very similarly, and we're not able to tell apart the algorithmic innovations and what actually matters um, on these easy benchmarks. So that's a call to action, really, to improve our benchmarks and also to improve our evaluation protocol. We need to be very careful about making sure that we're giving uh, the baseline algorithm a fair chance. Hi, my name's Ben Eisenbach, and I'm going to talk about a poster called If Max, Re Max N Reinforcement Learning is the Answer, What is the Question? And the motivation for this work is that maximum entropy reinforcement learning is an algorithm that's very popular in reinforcement learning today. And it's popular not only in the reinforcement learning community, but also has been observed in nature. 
And so the question we try to answer is, when is Maxent reinforcement learning the optimal thing to do? And one thing that's clear is that Maxent reinforcement learning is not the optimal thing to do if we want to maximize reward. So when is it the optimal thing to do? Is Napier just irrational? In this paper, we show that Maxent reinforcement learning is the optimal thing to do in two certain cases that involve variability or uncertainty in our reward function. Well, my name is Felipe Leno da Silva. I'm a researcher from University of Sao Paulo, and my paper is uh, called Uncertainty Aware Action Advising for Deep Reinforcement Learning Agents. So the main idea of my paper is that agents applying reinforcement learning usually take a very long time to learn a very good policy. But in some situations, you might have available uh, already competent policy, like, for example, a human who is able to provide guidance to the agent, or you might have a legacy system or something like this, and your learning agent might ask for action suggestions to this policy to learn faster. The main problem is when the agent should ask for those suggestions, uh, because uh, you want your agent just to ask for suggestions when it doesn't have a, a good policy yet for performing the task. So we have proposed an algorithm in which the agent has a confidence function and when the uncertainty of the agent for applying an action for a given state is high, then the agent will ask for a suggestion. When the uncertainty is low, it means that the agent already has a good policy for that state, so it doesn't need to ask for suggestions. And we have compared our algorithm with other similar teacher-student frameworks, and we have shown that in general, our algorithm improves the learning performance. Uh, hi, I'm Rishabh, and I'm presenting the poster Striving for Simplicity in Off-Policy Deep Reinforcement Learning. Uh, in this work, we show that if you do offline deep reinforcement learning on data set collected from a DQN agent, you can actually outperform some of the recent state-of-the-art agents, including online C4, which is, if you collect data from DQN from 2013 and just do a good job at optimization using something simple like random ensembles, you can actually match the performance of the online C4 agent, which is considered a huge, huge success two years ago. Uh, so I'm Raj. I'm a PhD student at Georgia Tech. So I developed uh, Jericho, um, which is what this paper is. Um, it's talking about interactive fiction games as a domain for exploring uh, the mix of natural language processing and reinforcement learning. Um, and so the overall idea here is that we wanted to have a framework which is kind of like OpenAI Gym, um, but for text games. And so the main idea of like why you want to study text games um, is that they let you explore these challenges um, at the intersection of like RL and NLP without the sort of like costly interaction that you get, say, if you're trying to train something like a chatbot um, or whatever. Um, and so like a few of the challenges we've outlined here on this poster, um, the first is that of like knowledge representation. So like they're partially observable environments. So an agent sees and talks to the world purely through textual natural language. Um, and then the descriptions that it gets from the world can potentially be incomplete. It doesn't have access to the world state at any given point. Um, the second is sort of that of common sense reasoning. And it's like boils down to the question of like, how does the agent figure out how to do things with objects that it has? Or how can it interact with commonplace objects? Um, so say the agent comes across a mailbox in the world. Um, so we as humans know that like 
a normal way to interact with a mailbox would be to try and open it. Um, but how do we give this to the agent? So like the agent could try and eat the mailbox, you know, like instead of opening it, try to chew the lid off. But just opening it like normally would probably be more effective um, straight up. Um, and then the final thing is the, that of like the combinatorial action space. Um, and so this is like sort of what we really focus on here. Um, and so in terms of the combinatorial action space, so in a game, a popular text game, um, you're required to generate um, actions that are four words in length. Um, and so your action space is your vocabulary to the power of four, which in a popular text game like Zork means that you have about 240 billion actions um, at every single step. And so like the question really becomes is like how do you adapt um, RL algorithms to deal with this sort of uh, continuous, this like ridiculously large action space. Um, and so to help with this, that's why we came up with this framework called Jericho. Um, and so we introduce a set of handicaps in this framework to help agents, um, you know, like ease into the task and like more intelligently interact um, with this environment. Um, and so like a couple of the uh, handicaps that we have, like the first handicap that we have is that of like the template-based action space. Um, so the template action space is, so you know how I said you have to generate like four to five word actions. So a lot of combinations of four to five words just don't make sense, right? They're ungrammatical. And so it turns out what you could do is you can group verbs and prepositions together um, to basically generate a series of like action templates. So like a template would be something like take blank from blank um, or, you know, push something, take something, open something, so on. Um, and so the problem goes from having to generate a bunch of words in a row to the problem of having to generate a template and then fill in the template with the correct objects that you want to interact with it. Um, and so this reduces your action space down from this like 240 billion per step to about 100 million or so. So it's still kind of big, but it's a little bit more manageable. Um, and so it turns out like in our, uh, we have another handicap. So it turns out you can actually go one step further than that. Um, and so this sort of concept of a template action space, um, what it does, it eliminates some of the ungrammatical actions, um, but there's still some combinations that, you know, still just don't make sense. So if you try to say, you know, take, um, you know, gothic from door, like what does that mean? Um, uh, so uh, we introduced the concept of a valid action. So in this case, a valid action is an action that is grammatically correct, contextually relevant, and guaranteed to produce change in the world in any given state. Um, and so Jericho has the ability to detect the set of valid actions in any given game state. Um, and so in terms of the size of the action space, um, uh, the number of valid actions is really only about 100 or so per step. And so in this sort of handicap, you've gone from this 100 million action space um, to 100 um, action space. Um, and so on top of this, we introduce a bunch of baseline agents um, uh, that are designed to use each of these handicaps. And so the first baseline agent is the DRRN, um, which is essentially Q-learning over the uh, valid actions. It's learning to score uh, the correct valid actions. Um, the other one is the template DQN, which produces independent Q-value estimates over both the template and object. So this is the one using the template action space vocabulary, um, the 100 million size one. Um, and then on top of that, we have two other additional agents, one of which is the random agent, which basically picks from a random common set of actions that can be performed in any text game. Um, so actions like moving around, navigating, picking up objects, putting down objects, and so on. 
And then we have another agent, which is called Nail, which is a heuristic-based agent. Um, so this uh, heuristic-based agent isn't trained on any one game per se, uh, but is designed to play all sorts of interactive fiction games in general. Um, and so uh, this framework, this Jericho uh, framework uh, as a whole has a a lot of games. We've got like about 30 games in total um, that you see here. So uh, it's a wide variety. So we support a lot of different games, everything from um, slice of life, uh, home, salary man's walking simulator type things to Lovecraftian horror games. Um, and so it's, it's a wide variety of genres, game structures, reward functions, and so on. Um, and so the gist of the results um, is that we, when we tested these agents on this game, um, the best performing agent is the DRRN because, of course, it uses all the handicaps that we have. But even this agent um, really only gets to about a normalized completion of about 11% across all of this. And so what this is really telling us is there's a lot current RL algorithms cannot do um, in terms of the challenges presented um, by interactive fiction games in general, um, and that there is a lot of space for improvement in this area. So we really hope that there's like more people that work in this area um, to explore ideas at the intersection of NLP and RL. Hello, I'm Adam Stuke. I'm a PhD student with Peter Beal at UC Berkeley, and I'm showing off a poster here on RLPYT, RLPIT, a deep reinforcement learning library that we've recently come out with in PyTorch um, that's intended to be a high-throughput, uh, research-oriented code base uh, for doing reinforcement learning. So some interesting things about it is that it's uh, one of the first code bases to incorporate uh, reinforcement learning algorithms from all three of the, the major families, from policy gradient to deep Q learning to cube-based policy gradient, um, and whereas historically they've kind of been implemented maybe one-off in separate repositories, finally they're they're all uh, in one place here together. And it turns out they share a lot of common infrastructure code that has to do with the, the reinforcement learning workflow. Um, so what we've done is we've optimized that infrastructure code and built in many uh, convenient options for parallelizing the workflow either across multiple CPUs or multiple GPUs. And on top of this, we've written a very modular implementation of all the algorithms so that it should be easy for researchers to pick up and make modifications um, and uh, put their own enhancements on uh, uh, pushing the field forward. And we have the code is uh, open source and available now on github.com slash astook, A-S-T-O-O-K-E slash R-L-P-Y-T. And we also have a white paper you can look for on archive that gives a conceptual overview of the design decisions that we put into the code base. Thanks. My name is Tanmay Agarwal, and I, along with my colleague Hitesh, are students at Carnegie Mellon University. Today, we are going to talk about our paper on learning to drive using waypoints, which combines low-level navigational markers called waypoints with high-dimensional images using deep reinforcement learning. Currently, most traditional autonomous driving pipelines are highly modular modularized with different subsystems for localization, perception, actor prediction, planning, and control. However, these modules require much hand engineering and are highly prone to generalizable errors, which raises an interesting research direction to study deep reinforcement learning for autonomous driving with the potential generalizability to unseen scenarios. In this work, we propose an architecture that comprises of a convolution autoencoder and a policy network. The convolution autoencoder learns a latent representation of a semantically segmented input image, which is then combined with waypoint features to form the input to our policy network. 
The policy network comprises of a two-layer multi-layer perceptron which along with the autoencoder network is trained simultaneously and independently. We demonstrate this using the Kala simulator wherein we train our RL agents using model-free on-policy proximal policy optimization algorithm. Our learned RL agents are then evaluated on the benchmark tasks that have four increasingly difficult scenarios right from driving straight to driving in town between any two points with other vehicle actors. We show that our agents learn to drive well from scratch without any pre-training or expert demonstrations. We also show comparable performance to the imitation learning initialized baseline for the most complex task with other vehicle actors. This work thus demonstrates preliminary results on how deep reinforcement learning can scale to autonomous driving. We plan to extend this work further by learning better state representations that encode other vehicle actors dynamics as well as compare this work with other model-free RL algorithms towards improving the sample efficiency of our proposed method. Talk RL. This is TalkRL, all reinforcement learning all the time. Subscribe at talkrl.com slash subscribe.